Well, good morning again. So good to be with you. My name is Seth. I serve here as part of our preaching team, and uh, I am so blessed to be able to share the word of God with you today. So blessed. We have been in a series called Made for This. It's been a series on relationships. We hope that it has been edifying to you, that it's been encouraging to you, that it's been a blessing to you. Um, I've enjoyed it very much. And today is the last, uh, the last message of that series. And so um, I want to read, I want to start with the reading of the word. And we're going to be reading from, first from John chapter 1, and then from Mark chapter 10. And um, I would just encourage you as we, as we go in this morning, that you would posture your heart toward the Lord in such a way that you would be ready to receive and not just go through the motions. It's very, very, very easy on Sunday morning to go through the motions. Get your little sermon. Maybe absolve a little bit of guilt. Go on with your Sunday. Watch your football. Rinse and repeat. Do you know he has more for you than that? So I'd encourage you, posture your heart that way this morning as we read his word. The book of John is, uh, is John the Disciple's gospel account, and uh, he's also known as John the Beloved. Interesting reason why he's known as John the Beloved, <clears throat> uh, he calls himself the disciple who Jesus loved. I, I, I like the sense of identity that he has. He knows, he knows he's loved by God, but he also, he kind of he runs with that theme. He even talks about a foot race at one point in the scriptures, him beating another disciple out in a foot race. Um, I'm sure he's great. He just is kind of an interesting guy. He does a lot of, you ever seen those memes? You guys know what memes are? <clears throat> Where it's a picture of someone putting a medal on another person, but both of the faces are the same. <laughs> like one person is putting, that's kind of how I feel sometimes when I'm reading the book of John. It's like, and John, the one that Jesus loved. And John, the very fast disciple who beat the other disciple in a foot race. I look forward to meeting him. You know, John's gospel account is known as the most different of the three. The other three are called the synoptic, the synop, the synoptic gospels. Synoptic. There's no H in there. I don't know why I added that H. John's is the most different. He, he sounds far different from the others. Uh, if you're kind of like a, a mystic kind of person, you probably, John is your favorite gospel. Uh, if you like poetry, John is probably your favorite gospel. Um, even the intro is so interesting for chapter one. He's talking about the word and he, he, he begins at creation and then he skips Jesus' birth, Jesus' childhood, Jesus' adolescence. And go straight to his first encounters with John the Baptist, which is a different John. Now, when the chapter one changes genres to historical account, we see Jesus interacting with John the Baptist. And I want to start in verse 35 this morning as we read the word. And I would invite you to stand with me for the reading of the word. So the John that we're about to read about is not John the Beloved, but John the Baptist, a different John. Starting in verse 35, the next day John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned 
and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. Now, Mark is very different. The Gospel of Mark is very different from John. In fact, I would say that they're almost like, they almost seem like maybe the two, diff- the two most different, in, in my opinion. Mark is, uh, he was also known as John Mark, and he was a close associate of the apostle Peter. And, and most believe that a lot of Mark's material that he got was actually because of his close association with Peter, and that he learned a lot of those firsthand accounts from Peter. Mark's gospel feels rushed, maybe, very quick. He's constantly saying, and immediately, and immediately, and immediately, or maybe another word that's like that, depending on your translation. He, uh, he, he sounds like he's really, really, really trying to get somewhere, just kind of covering like little, it seems like he's kind of bullet pointing the gospel. He's like, we're about to get to the good part. We're about to get to the good part. And um, in Mark chapter 10, you know, James and John, the sons of thunder, it's interesting to me that it's John the beloved, but he was also like John the knucklehead. If you know what I mean, sometimes the things he said, but kind of all the disciples were a bit that way. Kind of, we are kind of all a bit that way. James and John make this very bold request. And then just a few verses later, we meet a guy named Bartimaeus, and he also makes a request. I want to read about it now. Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 35. Again, starting in verse 35. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Can you imagine talking to Jesus that way? (laughs) Hey, whatever we want. You do it, right? And he said to them, well, what do you want me to do for you? Inflection added by me. And they said to him, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Oh, James and John. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said, To him, oh, we are able. And Jesus said to him, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. The humility of Jesus. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. I can empathize with them. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. 
You're welcome, 909. I'm just following the, the punctuation on the page, so don't talk to God about it. Don't talk to me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. You may be seated. You ever been in a relationship, friendship, whatever, uh, someone you know, they only, it seems like they only reach out to when they need something from you. If you own a pickup truck, you know what it's like to be this person. I mean, lots of other people know too, but if you own a pickup truck, you definitely know what it's like. Hey, Seth, what are you up to? You mean, is my truck in use? <clears throat> or, or perhaps there's a... <laughs> I've owned a pickup way too long to be nice about that. <laughs> I love you. I'm not mad at you. Or maybe you, maybe you were in a relationship where it seems like the only time that a person wants to spend time with you is when they have absolutely no other prospects. Like they will wait to text you back or call you back or confirm a hangout with you until they have tried all their other friends. You are the last resort. And then all of a sudden, 30 minutes before the plans you were supposed to make, oh yeah, I'm totally in. And you're like, hmm. I feel very valued. Or maybe you're, you've been in a position of authority or of popularity or of influence. Maybe it's in work or school in another, or in another context. And it seems like someone's only really getting close to you because of what it will do for them and their status. Anyone else? It's not a good feeling to feel like you're being used, wouldn't you say? On the other hand, I hope that each one of you have had this very different experience where you're in a relationship with someone and they make you feel totally seen and totally known, totally loved, appreciated for who you are. Now, they may ask for your help because friends help each other, but they don't give the impression that that's why they want to be in relationship with you. They ask your help just because, I mean, if you're in relationship with someone, you want to help somebody. But there's this way different feel to the relationship. Like, wow, you get me. And you've seen my dirty laundry. And you still want to hang out with me. That's a way better feeling than being used, wouldn't you say? Now, a little moment of transparency. I was planning on preaching a completely different message this week. Fully planning. And uh, Friday morning, that's two days ago. I heard the Lord speak to me. At least I think it was his voice. I felt him drop something in my heart, a question. And 
And I, and I had been kind of feeling uneasy about the other sermon. I didn't know why. And then I realized why. It's because I wasn't supposed to preach that sermon. So, you know, I called up my dad. I said, Dad, I know I'm supposed to preach this other message, but uh, I really feel like this is burning in my heart. And I could tell he was kind of hesitant at first. He's like, okay. But then he was like, son, go for it. And this is what I felt like the Lord dropped in my heart. As I was spending time with him on Friday morning, I felt like I heard the Lord say, ask them what they want. Ask them what they want. And I said, okay, Lord, but that's a question that lasts like one second. Not really much of a sermon. Could you give me a little more? (laughs) Namely, could you give me some scriptures to preach? (laughs) And I felt like he called to remembrance these, these passages where Jesus asks these very poignant questions that sound a lot like that. What do you want? What do you want? So I want to look back at these scriptures that we've read and unpack this a little bit more. First in John 1, Jesus asked two disciples who began to follow him. He says, what are you seeking? Now, strangely enough, they don't actually give a good, they don't really give much of an answer. They actually go, Rabbi, where are you staying? You see, with this response, uh, we don't know exactly what their motivation was, but I think it's fair to say that it was probably a combination or one of the other of, of these two kind of motivations in that moment. One of them, first of all, their first response is, Rabbi, it, it appears that they were searching for a teacher, we already know that they were disciples of John the Baptist. We already know that they were, they were hungry to learn more about the coming Messiah. That was what John the Baptist has been preaching. And, and John the Baptist, they've been following him and he's basically like, mm, this is the guy. You really should be learning from him. And so it appears they're looking for a teacher. And I would say also what it looks like is that there is a curiosity inside of them. Their response where are you staying? It's like, hey, we want to we get to know you. We want to we see if this whole Lamb of God situation that John the Baptist is talking about, if it's the real deal. We want to we spend some time with you. Now, Jesus' response, I love it. He says, he says, come and you will see. Now, this might be just a simple, practical response, of course, because, yes, if you keep following me for the rest of the day, eventually I'm going to end up wherever I'm staying because I'm going to go to sleep at some point. But... I think that Jesus is a pretty thoughtful guy. And I would submit to you that I think it's very likely that what Jesus is doing here is he's, he's inviting them and welcoming them and affirming their curiosity. Rather than just giving them a location, you know, I'm like 123 Jerusalem Street or whatever. <laughs> he says, Come. Come and you will see. And I think that that come and you will see is much deeper than come and you will see the location at which I rest my head at night. I think the come and you will see is much deeper than that. It is this, ah, I see that curiosity. You will see. Now, Mark 10, it's two disciples again, but it's pretty different. You know, they, they, they come up to him and they boldly ask. And, and what does he say? He says, what do you want me to do? For you. Their answer? 
Grant us to sit at your right and left hand in glory. You know, just little things. Now, it might take maybe a little bit of cultural understanding to be able to hear the heart behind this request from James and John, but I don't think it takes too much extrapolation to realize that these two were seeking a position of power, of authority, of of importance. And Jesus' response, (laughs) I I, I love Jesus' response. A lot of times, he he doesn't like totally crush them because he could because he's, he's perfect and he could totally crush them with truth but he goes mm, you don't really know what you're asking for you may be willing to suffer and you will suffer but you don't really have any idea what power and authority are like in the kingdom of God you're used to the power and the authority of the kingdom of man you see in the kingdom of God leaders don't dominate people. They don't lord things over people. No, in the kingdom of God, leaders serve. In fact, look to my example. I'm your king. And I came not to be served, but to serve and even to give my life as a ransom for many. Now, just a few verses later, we're introduced to this Bartimaeus guy which his name means son of Timaeus. His parents were not apparently very creative. <laughs> I don't know, maybe it was just, it, it was, I'm sure it, it was a tradition. I'm, I, no hate, no hate for Bartimaeus, no, no hate for Bartimaeus' parents. He has obviously heard of Jesus. And I would say that it even sounds like he has some measure of faith in Jesus. Some measure of faith that Jesus is, is even the Messiah. I would say that his faith is, is evidenced in the way that he addresses him. He cries out. He says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. There's a desperation in his voice. And, and, and when people around him try to silence him with rebuke, he's all the more determined, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus hears Bartimaeus. He stops in his tracks. He tells his disciples to call them. And it's easy to pass over this, but look at what it says. It says that Bartimaeus, this blind beggar, he casts off his cloak. He springs up and he goes to Jesus. Blind man. Blind man casts off his cloak, springs up and goes to Jesus. I don't know if any of you have been blind before. But I can imagine that being a very difficult task. It would take some kind of desperation to do that. If you look closely, you'll notice that Jesus asked this man, this blind Bartimaeus, exactly the same question as he asked James and John. And I don't think that that's by any accident. He says, what do you want me to do for you? Bartimaeus' response is quite different from James and John. He's not thinking about position. He just wants to be whole. He just wants to be whole. And he just believes that this son of David, this Jesus of Nazareth, can do that. He says, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus tells him to go his way and that his faith has made him well. It's kind of funny. His sight's recovered. He doesn't actually perfectly obey Jesus. 
He doesn't actually go his way. Instead, as soon as his sight's recovered, he falls in line and he begins to follow Jesus right in that moment. What do you want? I believe that, that the Lord led me to these stories because they show this range, this spectrum of desire inside of us. What kind of relationship are you looking for in Jesus? I think that today, I just, I think that maybe, maybe Jesus just wants to have a little DTR with you. Maybe, maybe that term isn't used in all the generations. That, that means define the relationship. You guys familiar with that? Like if you're going to have a DTR, it's because a guy and a girl are kind of like, are we together? Are we not? Do you like me? Do you not? And then they sit down, usually for coffee. And they're like, so what are we? And sometimes there's mutuality. And sometimes one of them's like, I'm all in. And the other one's like, ooh, yuck. <laughs> That's a DTR. I don't know if you've ever been in one, but they're extremely uncomfortable. <laughs> I think that maybe Jesus wants to have a DTR with his church this morning. What are we? What are we? What, 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 how do we relate to each other? Do you, do you want me to be your teacher? You want to learn from me? You want to walk in, you want me to learn wisdom from me? It says in that same passage that Craig just brought up, which I love, the response when he says, do you, Jesus says, do you want to leave me too? Do you want to go? And he said, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. There is something to the teaching of Jesus. He says, do you, do, I think he comes to you today, he says, do you want me to be your healer? Do you want to be made whole in mind, in body, in soul? Do you, do you want me to be your savior? Do you, do you want me to, like, like Bartimaeus cried out, do, would you like me to have mercy on you? Would you like me to redeem you and restore you? pull you up from, from death to life so that you might have the abundant life? Would you like me to save you? Do you want to know more about me? Are you, are you a little unsure about me? Are you kind of like, oh, this Jesus, he seems like a, a decent, you know, good teacher, kind of a nice guy, but I, I don't know about Lord. I don't know about Messiah. Are you, are you curious about me? Or do you just want me to be your genie in a bottle? Do you just, do you just want to every once in a while, whenever you get a hankering for something, just want to say, hey, hey, I, I have a wish I'd like you to do for me. You want him to just grant you wishes for fame, for power, for influence, for wealth. See, Jesus asks many questions during his earthly ministry. I would encourage you to comb back through the gospel accounts and see just how many questions that Jesus asks. And I think that if you do that, if you look at the situation, the context of Jesus' questions, you will find that they were not questions of curiosity. They were questions of instruction, of conviction. It wasn't so much that he didn't know the answer to the questions, more that he was asking these questions for the people's own sake. That they would have to come to terms with the true state of their hearts, with the way that they had been thinking, and then grapple with this new reality, this kingdom that he was presenting before them. Now, 
I, I do not want you to get the impression that I am trying to bring any sort of condemnation or of looking down on asking God for things. That's a very healthy part of the relationship. He's a good father. He's a good father. And we are even instructed to ask him for things. Don't, don't miss me here. Don't hear what I'm not saying. You see, Jesus asks, or doesn't ask, he instructs us to ask the Father in his name. What an interesting phrase that we have decided we know exactly what that means. <laughs> Would you consider for a moment that in his name isn't just to add his name to the end of a prayer? Have you ever considered that? Well, I, I said in Jesus' name at the end, so I must have asked in his name. What, are you sure? Would you consider that asking or doing or saying in someone's name was adapted from the Roman Empire, where things would be said and done in the name of Caesar? Which meant that these actions and words were according to Caesar's will. And that the person acting or speaking was a representative of Caesar, an ambassador, if you will as if Caesar himself was acting or speaking, and that anything done or said in Caesar's name that was not in alignment with Caesar's will was treasonous and punishable. Would you consider? See, the name of God was so revered by the Jews that it was seldom that they would even speak it. Many would never speak the name of God. And he was often referred to simply as the name. And you see, the name of God, his name was not like the way that we use names per se, at least not in fullness. Because a name wasn't just what he was called, it was his very essence. Your name was the very definition, the core. It was to say yourself. So I would just place this before you. What if to ask in the name of Jesus is to abide in the very essence of Jesus? To be in intimate relationship with him, to obey him, to submit to him, to walk with him, to know him, and then from that place, make your request known. I think Jesus gives us the perfect example of what it looks like to ask in the name. On the night of his betrayal, he prays, prays this very human, very relatable prayer. He says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. He's, he's talking about this, this, this cup of, of sacrifice, this cup of, 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 of suffering, this crucifixion and, and torture that he's about to experience. Would you, if you are willing, remove this cup from me? Nevertheless... Not my will, but yours be done. We're talking about the King of Kings praying to the Father. In two different places, one he goes, if it is your will, and then a few verses later, but not my will, yours be done. There's a mystery there that is hard to fully comprehend that even Jesus himself prayed not my will. 
On that same night, Jesus prayed another prayer. And here, I believe, is where the Lord, where the Lord drew me to in this, in this question, what do you want? What do you want? I, and it's this, this very same night in John 17, starting in verse 1, it says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given. Now, please don't tune me out for this moment. If you're going to hear anything in this whole message, hear this. Verse 3. John 17, 3. And this is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I'm going to read that again because it's so worth it. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus goes, this is eternal life. This is what they're looking for. They may not know it, but this is what they're looking for, to know you and to know me. See, the, as, soon as, I, as soon as I talk about this to know, you may immediately begin to enforce your English understanding on it. But that would be a mistake. Because he's not talking about, this, this word gnosko, it's not, it's not talking about knowing a fact. It's not talking about knowing information. It's not talking about being good at trivia. It's not talking about being skilled in the area because you know it well. It's talking about a nearness and a closeness and an intimacy. As a husband knows a wife. And it's even distinguished in another language in Spanish. These two different words, I love it in Spanish because I think it's so much more clear. For all my Spanish speakers in the room, you know what I mean. The difference between saber and conocer. I would never use saber to talk about my wife. I know her. You don't, you don't know her like a fact. You don't know her like something you read in a book. No. Yo conozco mi esposa. Yo conozco a mi esposa. I know her. And it's different it's a different kind of no. And this is the knowing that we are called to. This is the knowing of Jesus and of the Father that is eternal life. It is good to want Jesus to be your teacher. It is good to want Jesus to be your healer and your savior. It's good to bring our requests to him. That's part of this walk. He's a good, he's, he's so good. He wants to know, he already knows, but he wants us to express what we need. But above any of that, it is best. It is best. It kind of reminds me of in the, in the Genesis story where he says it was good. It was good. It was good. It was very good. It is very good to want him for him. It is very good to recognize his intrinsic value above anything that he gives you, that he is simply worthy. Worthy to know, worthy to be close to, worthy to spend all of eternity reflecting on. I even think, when I, when I think about this, I, I think about the four living creatures. The four living creatures in heaven, and everyone's like, oh my gosh, he's going into Revelation. Yes, I know it's a bit of a weird image, but there's a point. 
The four living creatures, they're, they're like, have a bunch, they have arms, they have wings, and they're covered in eyes. Wow, that would be an interesting movie scene. But this is what I love. There are these four creatures, and they're around the throne. All they do all day long is look at God. Just imagine, you got wings, eyes all over your body, and the way that I see it, it says that they're always saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the one who was and is and is to come. And they, and they say it over and over and over. It says day and night that this praise never ends. And I'm just picturing them going, oh, catching a new angle of his face. What? Oh, holy, holy, oh, holy. Holy. Not just, oh, I, I wonder if he could give me good things. Oh, I wonder if he'll promote me. Oh, no, 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 no. First word. I love that song. Only one word comes to mind. Holy, 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 holy is the Lord God Almighty. All day, all night, never stops. And I wonder, I know that that's beyond our comprehension, right? But I wonder if he would give us just a taste, just a glimpse of that. He goes, I'm that worthy of knowing. I'm that worthy of knowing. If you're going to want something, take it from the ones who, spend, who have spent the most time with me in my presence in my throne room. I'm that worthy of knowing. You stand with me. I want to read a quote to you from a, a favorite author of mine. And uh, you've probably heard it read before, but I think it's particularly poignant for today. It says this. It's from C.S. Lewis in The Weight of Glory. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Every time I read that, I'm so deeply convicted. This message is not about you wanting less. This message is not about you asking for less. This message is it's not to just push down your desires. This message is God coming to you and saying, I know you're saying you want these things, but I actually know how I designed you. And there's something else that you want, even if you haven't discovered what you want. That sounds weird. Like how, how, could, how could you know what I want? I haven't even, how could I want it if I, I don't know, but it's true. There is a yearning inside of every human being. There is a God-shaped hole that can only be filled not by anything that he can give you except himself. He made us that way. We are made to be with him, to know him, to be in his name and not just tag it onto the end of prayers. To exist within his very essence. And I, of course, 
this is a message for the church, but I also want to speak to you today. Maybe you're, maybe you're there, maybe you're here to, today, and you're going, well, I'm not really in that position of, of where I've walked with Jesus, and I've just, you know, been asking him for things, and I've been in this kind of friends with benefits situation with him. I'm sorry, that, maybe that slipped out. Hey, I'm not preaching to you if I'm not preaching to you. But if I'm preaching to you, I'm preaching to you. But maybe you're more in this situation where you, you, can, you can catch a glimpse of them and you're curious. You're curious. You're like, I don't, I don't know quite what to make of you, Jesus, but I, I'd like to know you. Uh, and, and if that's you to, today, I want to I tell you a little bit about this Jesus. I want to tell you a little bit more about him. We've talked about him some, but I want to talk to you about why we're so crazy about him. Is that okay? Just real short, real, real short. You see, God, the Father, Yahweh, he made human beings, we're human beings, amen. He made human beings in his image. You are made in the image of God. We were made in right, I'll say good relationship with this creator. But then we did this thing that we do. We decided not to trust him and to go our own way. We trusted a liar, a serpent. They said, eh, God's not really for you. He just don't, doesn't want you to be like him. And we, and we trusted that. So we mistrusted God. And in that broken trust, we were separated from him. You go, well, that just doesn't seem very nice. Why would there ever be separation? Do you remember how I told you how he's holy? Do you remember how I told you how he's distinct, how he's set apart, that he is distinct from sin? Him and sin, they don't mix. But this God, this creator, he wasn't content with this separation that was created by our rebellion. By the way, let me just tell you what sin is right now. I, I get really tired of all this postmodern, just loosey goosey mumbo jumbo about what sin is sin is rebellion against God I'm not going to candy coat it and by the way you've all done it and so have I and without him that is how you are defined without Jesus you are defined sinner you're defined rebel you're defined evil you're not a good person oh no wow you're not a good person there is no such thing as that other than Jesus. Jesus was and is a good person. You are not. Now, if you are a believer, what's beautiful is that the righteousness of God, when we place our faith in Jesus, who died, he came. He was the son of God and the manifestation of God himself. He came to earth. God in a bod, some people say. And he took the, he took the, he took the debt, he took all of our consequence and it was poured out on him. He took it all so that we might, that gap between us and this holy God might be closed, that we might be reconciled to him. And it is only because of what he's done that we can talk about any goodness inside of us because it wasn't from us from the beginning. The Bible says that we became the righteousness of God only because Jesus became our sin. What? He became our sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Friend, you're not going to experience eternal life because you open the door for people. 
You're not going to experience eternal life because you pay your taxes. You're not going to experience eternal life because you don't say mean things. You're not a good person. You're going to experience eternal life if you come before Jesus and you say, I cannot do this on my own. I am not good. Only you are good. And I put all my trust, all my hope, all my faith, all of my allegiance in the name of Jesus, the King of Kings, the only one who can save. By the way, he's the only one who can save. There's no other name. And so if that's you, if you're in this place, if you're in this place today and you were in that place of curiosity, I don't know about Jesus. Hopefully I told you enough about him. Hopefully, but honestly, I can't say enough about him. If I were to talk about Jesus in the way that he is worthy, we would never get out of here and I'm already 10 minutes over. We would never get out of here if I could really do justice to who he is. But what I wanna do is I wanna invite you to step into relationship with Jesus today, to give him your allegiance. That means you're his and you're nobody else's. No mixing. No syncretism, no new age, no weirdness, no self, I'm gonna make my, me better, all garbage, crap, honestly, sorry. You feel me? I wanna invite you to, to make that decision today with every eye open, with every eye open and everyone looking around, I wanna invite you to confess him before man because if you confess him before man, you know what the scriptures say? That Jesus is gonna confess you before the Father. That is exactly what you want. Let me give you a little bit of secret. You want Jesus to confess you before the Father. So we wanna have you, if that's you today and you wanna make that commitment to Jesus, you know you have not been in relationship with him and you wanna step into that relationship today, you wanna commit your life to him. Would you do something so bold because we want to celebrate with you? Would you lift your hand in this place this morning? I think there was one I didn't really see. Anybody else? That's beautiful. Anybody else? Did anybody else? Anybody else? I know we got a lot of saints in the house. I'm going to invite you to pray this prayer with me, but hey, as we're praying this prayer, saints don't slip out because I've got something else for you. Please don't slip out. I'm saving it because I want you to be here for this because this is miraculous and this is one of the most important parts in the gathering. And when you slip out during this part, I'm going to leave it. If you made that decision today, I want to invite you to pray with me so you know what you're getting into. It's a beautiful thing. There's no miracle in just repeating my words. There's only a miracle in your heart before the Lord. Church, will you pray this with me as we stand in solidarities with our new brothers and sisters? Father, I have sinned. I've broken your heart. We were separated, and I'm sorry. But I'm so thankful that you made a way for us to be close. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus of Nazareth, the Lamb of God, to take away the sin of the world my sin. Today, I put all my trust, all my hope, all of who I am in the name of Jesus. From this day forward, I'm all yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we celebrate with the people who prayed that?
If you, if you made that commitment today, whether you raised your hand or not, I want to invite you to go under the cross where Amber and Spencer are. They want to pray with you. They want to give you a Bible and they want to talk to you about next steps because we make these decisions individually, but we walk out this relationship in community. He didn't just make us for relationship with him. He made us for relationship with each other. And at the cross, he isn't just reconciling us to the Father. He's reconciling us to each other. He's undoing that curse of enmity between human beings. Did you know? For the church, are you content making mud pies in the slums? Saints, are you content making mud pies in the slums? Can you imagine a holiday at sea? This is my challenge to you. Look, I don't have a big, like, 10 steps to change what you want. But I, I know some simple things. You go to him. You go to the Lord. Not just when you need something from him. But you go to him and you ask him, Lord, would you, would you change my desires? Lord, would you teach me how to want you? It feels like an awkward prayer. I get it. I get it. But guess what? You're not just going to cultivate it in your flesh. He's going to have to plant it inside of you. He's going to have to do something inside of you. But there are ways that you can partner with him in that cultivation. You can be with him. Sometimes, sometimes we wait for an emotion in order to act. That's usually the pattern of humans. We wait to be inspired. <laughs> Inspiration is a beautiful gift, but it's just the cherry on top. You cannot rely on it. Sometimes we must act first. Sometimes we must take a step of faith first before we feel like it. Before you feel like you want God for God, why don't you approach him? Why don't you approach him and be with him and listen to his voice and read his word and be with his saints and watch him develop a hunger inside of you. He wants to stretch your stomachs. It's going to have to get a lot bigger for heaven. Might as well start stretching now. Church, I bless you in the name of Jesus. And I pray this for all of us. Lord, would you increase our hunger for you, for yourself? Would you show us that you are worthy of knowing? Above all requests that we could bring to you, we're gonna bring our requests to you because you're a good father. Would you show us how worthy you are of knowing that we could just catch a glimpse of what the four creatures see and in our hearts cry, holy, holy, holy. In Jesus' name, keep us in that name. I bless you as you go. Go in peace.